There were times I was lost, dark had fear Couldn't see through the rain, in the end it were clear Hit the fan, I was more than one man Who was there to lend a hand, together we'd stand Always had my back, my guardian soldier Team pulled together, united we coke up Blessed is he who in the name of charity Carry me when I'm weak, straight through the valley of darkness Pitch blackness, the heartless Regardless, fear couldn't part us Thick and thin, there by my side At times we collide, but in the end we ride and thin, there by my side At times we collide, but in the end we ride We ride, 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 ride Keep on, always strong You know that we stand, divided we fall Together we belong I am my brother's keeper Keep on, always strong You know that we stand, divided we fall Together we belong I am my brother's Welcome back, Moto fans, to the last Mental for Moto podcast for 2023. I'm your host, Pete Wolf. I've got Chandler Burns, another amazing privateer who's also on the Mental for Moto rider support program for 2024, joining me in studio for this one. Before we get into it, I'd just like to give a shout out to our amazing partners, Death Grip Products, SPMX Suspension and Engine Performance, Graphics by Aqua, Works Racing, Wolf Building Compliance, Shred Bike Care, Bolt Everywhere Premium Race Gear, Iro Helmets, and Five Gloves. Keep an ear out for the sponsor reads in the middle of the podcast, and if you take the time to listen, you'll find out how you can win some cool prizes. I'd also like to thank everyone who has purchased some of the Mental for Moto merch on our website in the lead up to Christmas. It really does help us out a lot, and it is an amazing feeling when we see people wearing our tees and hoodies out and about. And of course, thanks to everyone that has gotten behind the Mental for Moto Rider Support Program and purchased themselves a 2024 motocross and supercross calendar off our website. If you haven't already done so, please log on and get, grab yourself one. Otherwise, you can also grab one at PBI Ride Farm or the Mornington Peninsula Motorcycle Club, aka Hastings, uh, throughout January. The calendar features all of the privateer riders on the program and the proceeds go towards helping these guys and girls with their 2024 campaigns. Uh, as we've covered on this podcast, all of these athletes compete at their own cost, so your support definitely goes a long way. And not only that, everyone that purchases a calendar goes into the draw to win one of a range of very, very cool prizes, uh, including an Iro Striker helmet, uh, I've got Death Grip gloves, I've got Five gloves, I've got uh, Works Racing goggles, I've got some Mental for Moto merch, and, uh, and I'll probably rally up some more as well. Okay, now let's get to our final guest for 2023. Unlike my last guest, Jeremy Waters, who is at the very beginning of his Primex journey, my guest in studio today, Chandler Burns, at just 23 years of age, is almost a bit of a veteran in the MX2 and SX2 class, having started his professional career at the end of 2016. Watching Chandler ride, his talent on a dirt bike immediately stands out. And if he's able to stay healthy and string a few good results together next year, I honestly think his potential is right up there to be banging bars with the very best riders in the MX2 class. Welcome to the Asylum, Chandler. Uh, we've been trying to put this together for a while, so it's awesome to have you here. Yeah, it's good to be here. We've tried a few times and I'm um, happy to make it happen. Nah, it's a busy time of year. What's been happening? You've been working, training, riding? Uh, I've just been working, really. Haven't uh, done too much riding since Coolum, so just been trying to work as much as I can and try and 
get some money so we can go racing again next year. Yeah, do you still get out for fun, like to ride? Yeah, I've ridden probably like maybe four or five times, but most of the time if I'm riding, I just want to train and, yeah, try and do motos. Speaking about, uh, yeah, the Pro MX last year, uh, how'd you go? Um, not as good as I would have liked to. Um, had a bit of ups and downs with like coming in off ankle ankle injury and whatnot, but, um, yeah, sort of just tried to tried to get race myself sort of fit throughout the season, but um, it was sort of up and down year really. Yeah, so did you end up doing all the rounds? Yeah, I did. Shouldn't have been at Wonthaggy. I think I rode the bike three days beforehand. <laughs> but, yeah, That's I, think, gnarly. I still think we rode, yeah, raced all of them or tried to race all of them at least. Yeah, so how'd you go at uh, at Wani? Um, Terrible, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think I was sort of didn't expect how much the ankle injury was sort of going to put me back. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll come off the couch and still go all right. No worries. And I think I qualified like 37th and I was just like, wow. All right, if I get 37th in Moto 1, I'm not doing Moto 2. <laughs> so. And that, that's a place you've done a fair bit of training in the past, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, sort of ridden down there a fair bit. So, yeah, when that happened, I was a bit like, oh, shit, we're a bit off the pace. <laughs> yeah. And uh, where did we go after that? I think it was, uh, was it Appen? Yeah, was Appen. Next? Yep. Yeah. And the, how'd you go um, at Appen? That was... Uh, 30, 37 degree mud race. Yeah, that was <laughs> nuts. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit crazy, but... um. That was sort of like up and down, or mostly down. Still, sh- still sort of coming off that injury. Just yeah, sort of yeah. Shouldn't have even been out there, but was still there anyway, trying to trying to make something happen. But I think I got like heat stroke in the second moto, and yeah, it was just it was pretty brutal out there. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about those first three rounds. Obviously, uh, Wodonga was like a a super mudder as well, and there was a lot of talk after that about from the privateers about whether or not they should have held some of those races and. Like there was privateers that, you know, that went and, and raced and other ones that actually pulled out and just went, I'm going to save my bike because uh, this is no no good. What was your sort of thoughts on, on those first three races when it came to like the track conditions and the weather conditions? Well, I thought, honestly, like Appen, when we were walking it on the Saturday, I thought it was going to be fine. Because um, it was dry still then, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was going to be good. And then the sprinklers got left on or something, whatever <laughs> happened, happened. And then we got what we got. So that was sort of just like a... That one's hard. That's sort of like a somebody's made a mistake somewhere along the lines. Yeah. Um. So it's like who's going to cop the handball sort of thing, and then Aubrey was sort of like you can't really do sort of too much yeah. with that one either. Like that's the the rain. Like yeah, the, they tried the best they could to make it. You know what they did, and it wasn't that bad. Like it was pretty. It was it was pretty bad, but it wasn't like too too bad that you couldn't actually race it. If you know what I mean. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. You weren't sort of. I mean, you weren't really racing. You were just trying to get around. But at the same time, it was like it wasn't unrideable. And it's sort of motocross. Like, there's going to be weather. You're outdoors in, you know, in winter. Yeah. So you were happy riding in those sort of conditions. Not happy is probably the wrong wasn't, word. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say I was happy. I definitely wasn't stoked on it. But I didn't sort of, you know, you go on a race motocross. So if it's, you got to race in whatever conditions it is. And if they're running the race, then yeah. it, it's up to you. But I was, yeah, I was sort of happy to race it. It was just whether or not you rode your race bike or your practice bike. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's sort of one of the things that we were talking about. It was like back and forth was, oh, do we ride the race bike? Do we ride the practice bike? And ended up riding the race bike. And unfortunately, that like blew up with like two corners to go in the first moto. So, Are you able to swap bikes? It's only if you put them both through scrutineering, isn't it? Nah, so it's all sort of like self-scrutineering and stuff. So yep. Um, we fill both bike both forms out for both bikes um, every round or whatever anyway. So you can if one bike yeah you can sort of switch. Yeah. Um, you sort of just have to notify um, the, like the race management and 
then yeah, go from there. So did you end up going out in the second motor? Yeah, second motor, I went out on the practice bike and pretty much just like rolled around just to finish. I was sort of like a little bit over it, but at the same time I was like, oh, we'll go and try and get some points and try not to blow the bike up at the same time. So I just tried to roll around and it actually wasn't that bad. I was probably riding it better than when, you know, I was trying to race the track, so. Yeah. Yeah, that was my second one attending as a media, like my second Pro MX uh, doing media stuff and, and I had track access there to take photos and, and like up close that just looked, you know, as a rider but I definitely can't ride those sorts of conditions. That looked nuts. Do you go out there and still try to race or be competitive or is it just a survival thing? It's sort of like a bit of both really. Like for, for the most part you're sort of just trying to stay off the ground when it's that bad. Yeah. But you're also sort of, you know where you are. Like I think, I don't know, you might pass someone like three laps and then – three laps later you might be on the ground and they'll pass you back or something and then you're just like oh yeah, yeah. I just passed him he's just got me back I've got to go get him or something like that like I think first motor that was happening with like myself and um, I think it was like Cody Cooper yes yeah. Um, and like and all I kept seeing was like the cowie and I was like oh he's he's there and then I was like oh, I've got to go get him again and then it's like oh you'd pass him and then you wouldn't see him for ages or you'd your goggles would break and you'd then you'd go oh hang on I can't see anything you'd open your eyes and there's there was the cowie again so it was sort of you sort of like know where you are in racing but for the most part you're sort of just trying to stay off the ground and just like get around as, yep. as sort of as safe and as like fast as you can without making too many mistakes like but it's not pretty in those conditions. You're not you're not worried about your technique or photos. You're just yeah. trying to trying to get around. It was funny, like watching guys like Brody Connolly, uh, even Jed Beaton, like the guys that did pretty well up there. They just looked like they were cruising. Uh, you know, everyone that was looking like they were riding fast with their feet hanging off and uh, trying to be racy was they would go fast for a, a section of track, but then they'd obviously bin it and then you know be scraping their bike out of the mud and. The guys that actually did well up there looked like they were just yeah absolutely chilling. Yeah, it's um it's pretty crazy like how that works in the mud. Like as long as you sort of keep your head like calm and you sort of just ride a ride yeah. around, and most of the time you're probably going to go faster than you're actually trying to race in those conditions because you see things happening or whatever else. Like I think Jed was saying he ran into like a flag marshal or a lapped rider or something like out of nowhere, and he. So he thought he wasn't even in the lead and he come around and had like 30 second lead or something. And he was yeah, like, what? Yeah. He was just down for like 30 seconds or something. <laughs> so it's sort of weird in that sort of, yeah, you just got to sort of cruise and um, just try and keep off the ground. And if you stay off the ground and keep your hands and you shift like everything clean, then it's going to be easier to ride and you're obviously not going to lose so much time. In the mud, if you crash, it yeah, takes yeah. you like three times as long to pick up your bike and it's that heavy afterwards to get going and stuff got slippery hands and it's just and that extra weight that you know doesn't help the mechanical side of things either and then you're trying to get back up and things are getting hot and you're carrying all the extra weight so yeah yeah no definitely something that you want to try and avoid when you're um racing in the mud is going crashing and getting stuck in it so yeah so after uh wodonga we ended up going to to maitland and gilman and uh you had your well two of your best results uh, for the year at those two rounds um tell me about those rounds a little bit yeah, so um, Maitland, I was pretty much just trying to get through there without getting injured or without sort of having too many big dramas there because I broke my ankle there last year, which I didn't really think about like at the time. Yeah. But now sort of looking back on it, I was sort of riding like a little bit cautious and not trying to make any big mistakes or anything. So sort of thinking about what I was doing a little bit more and not actually, yeah, racing as much, Yes, I would say. 
but yeah, second moto there I think was pretty good for me. I think um, I think Brody got me on the last lap for like I don't know eleventh or twelfth or something. Yeah, but yeah, that was in the rain, so that's another one like raining, slippery conditions, and you're sort of not really racing. Like you're sort of just like skill, like trying to go as just ride as fast as you can. You know, like it's not really a attacky attack the track and you know and in race the, in the first moto was that uh was it you guys that were out when it started raining halfway through the moto so it started off fairly dry and then it got like super slick i think that was mx3 uh, i think so you might yeah be right, that actually, was happening yeah. and we we're like oh no like our second moto is going to be gnarly like yeah it's probably going to be swamped and then it sort of stopped raining but the track was already wet and then it sort of rained in and out during yeah, our moto yeah. so it was kind of like Oh, one of those things where do you want it to stop raining or do you want it to keep raining so it doesn't get like tacky and then yeah no nah, that just looked like uh looked like ice and then um yeah gilman was obviously after that uh gilman's a bit sandier which i think is something that you like a little bit more yeah for sure um always look good um look forward to going to gilman like where you sort of the beaten guys and uh we sort of go over and do like the south australian title that yep. they, they, they normally have that sort of a few weeks beforehand so we sort of normally all head up and, and go for that, get a bit of racing in over there and then, um, yeah, a bit of track time and then get to go back a few weeks later for the national. So, um, yeah, I was looking forward to that. And then that was sort of, yeah, good, like, sandier conditions, like, from ro- like home tracks, Rosebud. So it's sort of, like, a little bit similar, but sort of not really... Not as deep. Um, not as deep as Rosebud, yeah, but it's a little bit more like it compared to some of the other tracks we have on the schedule. So, um, yeah, sort of one of the favourite tracks we go to. And then, uh, yeah, we had Toowoomba and, and QMP, so back up to Queensland with a bit of a break in between. Uh, you didn't score points at either of those rounds, so what happened there? Didn't score points at Toowoomba. Just, I don't know what happened there, but Coolum, I think I scored, um, I think I ended up like 12th overall or something. Uh, uh, Coolum, you did? No, QMP was in there as well. Oh, QMP. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I don't know, to be honest with you. It was sort of like a, like I said, a bit of an up and down year, sort of some days I was just... Wasting time and money going to the track sometimes, but yeah, I wasn't. I don't know. I, the twenty four was out there, but I don't know if I was fully there. So um, yeah, just had to. I don't know what happened. We just was wasn't quite in the right right space, or yeah, wasn't having a good time. Yeah, and then obviously you already mentioned it. We went to Coolum. Uh, that was your best result for the year, I think. Uh, well, that's a top ten overall at least. So yeah, uh, yeah, back to the sand. Yeah, that's always love Coolum. That's sort of like. The closest track on the schedule to back home at like at Rosebud at the home track, so yeah, it's always always good going there and a brutal track. <clears throat> I love it when it gets like that. That's, that's sort of some of the stuff we train on down here is um is pretty gnarly. So when it gets the Coolum and it gets like second moto like last ten minutes, I sort of enjoy that sort of stuff. So it's um yeah, I sort of wish there was more more tracks like that on the schedule for sure. Yeah, it was a little bit different this year. With uh, with the lead up too, it ended up sort of forming a bit of a harder base to what it normally gets. How'd you find that? Like uh, a lot of the riders, even the guys that really love sand, sort of struggled with that a little bit this year. Yeah, it's sort of deceiving. Like everyone always says Coolum's like a really sandy track, but for as long as I've sort of gone there, I've always known it to have like a bit of a hard base. And even like last year, it formed up like with that little bit of a hard base, it gets like really chattery sort of bumps. So... I wasn't really expecting that last year because we hadn't been there after COVID and stuff like that. So I hadn't been there for a while. And then when it formed up like that last year, I was a little bit like, oh, okay. So this year I was sort of expecting that and just, just play, like rode the bike a little bit differently. And I think the holes were a little bit bigger this year. Like it formed up like a yeah. little bit more like a sand track. So it was easier to ride for myself. Yeah, I just sort of 
I just I just like it when it's a little bit more like yeah, big whooped out sand sand rollers. I'm sort of getting the sense that uh, you know you weren't stoked with your your results this year, like how the year went. Uh, what sort of was your expectation coming into it, and, and what were you sort of hoping to achieve? To be honest, after the injury to my ankle and surgery and stuff like that, I didn't really know. Like coming into this year, like I think I yeah I rode three days or. I did three days on the bike before one thaggy yeah. and I thought I was going to be a lot, sort of a lot better than what I was. Were you training off the bike? Yeah, but I sort of couldn't do a whole lot until I sort of started riding anyway. Yeah. So it was kind of hard. Like I was playing catch up the whole sort of year and just never really got to where I sort of thought I should be or where I wanted to be. So it was pretty, it was a pretty like tough year, just sort of like physically and probably mentally as well, just trying to fight that like thinking about where you want to be in that and then actually what you're doing on the weekend, trying to sort of go like, well, that's where you are. you got to deal with it yeah. and try and pull your finger out and get to where you want to be. So, Yeah. Uh, we were sort of talking off air a little bit about, you know, how busy you are with uh, with work. Were you working through the year this year? Like did you have to juggle that in between the rounds or were you pretty focused on racing and riding and training? Uh, yeah, sort of had to like, go to work uh, in some of the bigger breaks or even sometimes when I didn't want to, I sort of had to like stop trying to ride during the week and then go to, go to work to make money because um, when I had my surgery in December, I was like off and couldn't, couldn't work or couldn't do yeah. anything. So sort of, sort of trying to like juggle a bit of work in between. Like by the time I sort of got allowed to train off the bike, I was sort of allowed to almost start riding as well, but I'd sort of, yeah, and that didn't really leave me a lot of time before round one. So, like, I didn't really, yeah, have much money to start the season. So, we sort of had to try and catch up on that aspect as well as catch up on the fitness and riding aspect of it as well. So, um, yeah, it was sort of pretty tough this year to juggle everything. But Yeah, and at 23, you're, uh, you're living the privateer life. Like, are you is your whole program sort of self-funded? Yeah, for the most part, like I have a bit of um, a bit of support through the Ride Red program and Honda, which is really good, and Fly and McLeods, they were like big help this year and last year as well. So sort of that like helps a fair bit, but most of the other stuff like there's still a lot that goes into it. Um, yeah, yeah. Apart from that, to 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 have a good program and and to do everything you need to do to um, be like a be a be a top athlete to try and you know compete at your best and to try and, you know, compete with some of the best in the country. 100%. It definitely makes it difficult. Do your parents still help you a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Mum and dad still help me a fair bit, which is pretty good. Otherwise, I'd probably just be working working a full-time job. So. Yeah, it's a, definitely a cornerstone <laughs> of the the cornerstone of the privateer life, I think. Yeah, definitely. Like, if mum and dad didn't help, you'd sort of be, um, well, it's, it's a hard one because it costs a lot of money to, to go racing and to be sort of like to do it competitively you sort of can't work too much because you got to do you got to be riding you got to be training you got to be working on your bike you know if you're a privateer and most factory guys but yeah it's sort of a, it's a I bit think of a hard the, one the level you're at and the, the level that you're trying to get to uh it, it's pretty much impossible to to do it as a one man show like you definitely need help with your program yeah for sure like it'd be awesome if you had like a practice bike mechanic or something because you could just rock up to the track do your um do your riding and then go to your training afterwards to recover and um do everything you need to be like to make yourself better whereas like most pretty much all the privateers you've got to go to the track ride then go wash your bike prep it for the next day do your training as well and then go like you know get everything else organized 
and then do it all again the next yeah. day or, or try and go to work the next day to make money to do it again. Yeah. So are you doing your own mechanical stuff as well or do you get help with that? Does your, your old man help you or you got support? Yeah, for, for the like for the most part, oil changes and all just like the easy stuff or, you know, air filters, oil changes, clutches, things like that, I sort of do. But my old man's sort of like a, um, I don't know what you call it. He's like an automotive machinist by trade or something. So, yeah. so he, he's um, handy. Yeah, so he like he ports my heads and does my engine work and stuff like that. Oh, so wow. He, yeah, yeah, so he rebuilds my bikes and builds my race engines and sort of gets some help off um, like Mark Sladek as well with – building my race engines so they sort of work together on that so he he helps you on race day as well yeah yeah dad's my mechanic yep so he'll he'll drive the trailer to the rounds and then or the far away rounds and then i'll i'll just fly so at least i can sort of half recover and then get back and sort of either go to work the next day or go go training and riding or get that extra day of riding before you leave to get to go to the race yeah, oh, that's awesome. So uh, we sort of natural segue into that. How did you get started in motocross? Was that the the influence of your dad? Like, how old were you? What was your first bike, and and how did you actually get started? Yeah, so I uh, got a Peewee fifty for Christmas when I was like four, and then yeah, just like I, I must have loved it, just riding. I think yeah. the first day I got it, I like crashed into like the blow up pool they had or something at my um, auntie's <laughs> place. Just throttle stick or something yeah yep and um and then yeah just sort of kept riding and then i think yeah i got a um pro senior 50 after that and then started riding that a bit more and then yeah then i started racing and then once i started racing dad got a bike and he started racing as well like he'd never really ridden or raced or anything beforehand yeah um so he sort of just was like oh well he's going to the track and racing well i'm going to as well so yeah yeah have you got siblings and like did your mum go to the races as well when you were a kid yeah, so I've got an older sister, and yeah, yeah, everyone used to come when we were like when I was younger. We used to all just go go away to the racing on the weekends and camping, and I'd race, and then Dad would race, um, you know, on the Sunday or whatever. So we'd all sort of stay out and make a make a weekends of it throughout the year. Yeah, does your sister ride as well? She did. She did ride a little bit, and then she got throttle stick on one of my fifties when we were selling it, and um, like went wide open into the retaining wall and got like wedged up against it, and that was it. She's never ridden since then. Yeah, I, I, that's a lie. We got a KLX one ten like a few years or a couple of years ago, and yeah, that was sort of meant to be for her, but Dad sort of you know sold that to Mum so that we could get it, so him and I could ride it. But um, I think she rode it a few times, and that was about it. Yeah, yeah, I try to get my daughters out there as much as possible, but uh, yeah, they've got other interests, so I'd love to have them get into it more, but I don't think it's ever going to happen, apart from just the uh, the odd ride day now and then. Yeah, nice. Uh, so how did you sort of go as a, as a junior? Did you uh, find success straight away, or was it sort of something that took a while to, to develop, and did you have that sort of race bug and, and race intensity from, you know, that desire to win from the get-go? Sort of a hard one, like I'd say so at our like uh, the club rounds and stuff. Like I, one of my best mates, Tom Bale, we used to we grew up. Um, he used to live in Rosebud, so we used to go stay at his place and um, ride the grasslands. It was called just down the road from his. And Boydie used to ride there and train. So like when Boydie was riding for CDR, he would be there training and riding, and we'd just rock up on our fifties with Joel Hall, who was coaching us at the time, yeah. and we'd just go there and ride, sort of in between when he was riding and. I think we sort of just, yeah, it was just something that we enjoyed doing. Yes. And then it was like, it was just fun, you know. You got out of the house, you got stuff to do. The parents loved it. Like my old man and Tom's old man, they were just drinking beers and Joel would be looking after us <laughs> while we are going riding. So I think they were having just as much fun as we were. And 
it was just sort of one of those things that you enjoy and you just keep going. And then obviously as you sort of get a bit older, you go, oh, okay, I like this, look like, you know, I want to keep doing it. And then, you, yeah, you start to develop that sort of, that um that want to win and try and be try and be better. At, at what age do you reckon you were when you decided like this is what you wanted to do? That's a bit of a hard one. Like, like growing up, probably probably like on one two five two fifties, like sort of thir- like fourteen, yeah, fourteen fifteen was when I like you sort of start to take it a bit more serious. Like you're getting towards seniors. Well, for me anyway, and you sort of think like, oh, I'm not too bad. Like if I put in a bit more effort and things start happening or clicking, you know, you could you could go all right at this. So around then and like was nearly finishing school and then juggling up whether or not to leave school, get a job and try and work more so that you can ride. But then sort of dad was like, well, if you stay at school, then you can take days off school and go riding more. So it was sort of like one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, around that time, like when I was 16, I wanted to try and try and sort of ma- try and make something of it or try and commit a little bit more to it. Yeah. They're just trying to make that happen. Probably took a few years to um to get a bit more of a balance and a better setup to actually sort of do it properly. Yeah, and you're obviously A grade by that stage. Yeah, so I think um yeah, growing up <coughs> went to A grade on like a sixty five when I was like uh twelve, I think. Um and then yeah, eighty fives. So yeah, sort of the whole way All through. Way through your juniors. <coughs> yeah. Um and then you sort of just Yeah, so you sort of think you're yeah, like, Oh, I'm not too bad at it and then see sort of see where it goes. But Back then when uh, when I was racing juniors like growing up, we had like a stacked field. Like now I think it's a little bit it's a little bit disappointing with like the amount of juniors. Juniors, yeah. Like we used to have guys from everywhere. We'd have Riley Dukes, John Bova, Caleb Gothews from Perth come over. We'd have like Brody Alice, Hugh McKay from Tasmania, Wade yeah. Wade Kirkland, like there was so many people come come down and race at the Victorian titles. It was almost like an Aussie title, every state title. Yeah. And then you'd go and race them all and others at the Aussies anyway. Um, so it was a really good, um, like, competitive uh, field when I was growing up. So I think that's where, like, the drive, I guess, to be sort of better come from because you're always racing guys that are sort of, like, the best. Like, most of the guys we were racing, they're all going to the Worlds and, and racing the Worlds for Australia. So you see what they're doing. And then one of my good mates, Cody Dice, he went to Worlds uh, yeah. a couple of times, I believe. Um, so it's sort of those things like, oh, he's doing that. If I sort of, you know, put in a bit more, maybe, you know, I might get to go or, you know, you sort of have that carrot dangling in front of you, sort yeah. of something to chase. So, um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, he's another super talented rider there, yep. definitely. So what do you think it is about uh, today's, like, junior scene that why it's not the same anymore? Uh, I don't know. I have, like, I have this sort of discussion with a few people, like, every now and then, and it's just, I don't know what what, what to put it down to. But there's just like not as many numbers, like so. There's not as many numbers, and then the sort of level sort of drops. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they sort of have to keep putting people up into A grade or the next grade or whatever. But sometimes it's sometimes there's sort of some people up there that sort of shouldn't be, which might be a bit harsh in like some cases. But you know, it's sort of like there should be a sort of level, and that's sort of where it is. You, yeah. If you want it to stay that way, but it's just there's not enough sort of numbers, and I don't know why. I sort of just too busy focusing on what I'm doing and trying to trying to trying to work that out. Yeah, it's funny you say that. When I was like going back to the, the early '90s, when I was racing '60s, uh, we had like full gates out at Hallam uh, in the '60cc class, and they were pretty much predominantly all C graders. And we had I think four B graders, 
and no A graders. So yeah. like to be A grade, and the, I mean the B graders were awesome, and some of them went on to have you know pretty good writing careers. But yeah, like to be A grade back then, it wasn't just like they didn't try balance it out. So you've got X amount of C graders, X amount of B, yeah. and X amount of A. Like you had to be at a, a pretty damn good level, you know. And that was when guys like I mean they were a little bit older than me, but Lee Hogan and Craig Anderson and all that were they were just a, a couple of years older, so they yep. were coming through. Uh, so there was definitely some damn good writers on the scene back then. Yeah, and that's sort of where I'm. <clears throat> it's hard because obviously you want you want sort of the sport to be in a good place in Australia. So you know, guys from Australia can go overseas and make good careers like the Lawrences are and like Chad Reed did and that sort of thing. So you want it to be as high as you sort of can. So it's it's weird that it, it was like that back then because it's yeah it's definitely not like that like now. That They're now, just yeah. sort of bumping up people to sort of fill the fill the gates, and then some people have gone to age group stuff. So it's sort of. Yeah, just to try and, you know, make it look like there's more people on the gate because they don't want to split the classes and stuff like that. But Well, I guess now, uh, like you look at the Gippies, if you finish in the top three, you're automatically going up to a grade anyway. I think uh, they definitely do that at the senior level, like the senior ranks. I think they probably do that at the juniors as well. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Which is like, to be, yeah, that's probably a good way to look at it if you're you know, top three, but at the same time... It's sort of like there's there's there should be multiple things to look at like yeah. lap times and things like that as well because that's really consistency based. There's uh, there's a lot of riders that are winning races but you know only doing half the races yeah and they're not moving up because they're finishing fourth or fifth or sixth overall for the season and uh, you know I, I know one of my mates in the uh, in the vet class like he moved up and on that level like he was probably coming seventh and eighth mm. in the races but ended up going up to experts because he finished third overall for the season because he's, you know, he did every race. Yeah. So, but there's guys out there that are a hell of a lot faster. You should, it's like a, it's, it's almost like a championship. Like you got to sort of be in it to win it sort of thing. So yeah. it's sort of like, yeah, it's, that's, it's, but it's that's nobody's fault. It's just like a... Yeah, it's, it's a just, different conversation yeah. though to, to whether you should get graded up basically. Yeah, 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 I know. It's a hard one. Like that's where they should have sort of a criteria, a bit of a better criteria maybe to look at or um, something, but... Uh, certainly before COVID, they were doing grading races at the start of the year. Like, that might be a better way to do it. Yeah, I think they used to do a couple of them, which I, I don't even... I don't think that they really did them back when I was, like, when I was racing juniors because yeah. there was so many sort of races and everyone was doing everything. Yeah, like, so you get a real good ca- yeah, gauge. Yeah, so you knew if you were on the podium for the state title, well, you're going up to the next grade, yeah. you know, if you're C grade or B grade, you know. But now it's it's hard. With not so many numbers, you kind of... And not everyone's doing all the races as well. Some people are just picking and choosing what they do. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's, you need a, a few different things to yeah. to pick and choose. Yeah. Well, I think it's definitely getting better. I think the, the number of riders on the gate is, uh, is increasing. I'm hoping that we're sort of getting towards another sort of golden era because it has been pretty quiet for the last few years. Um, so you turned, going back to your career, you turned pro at, at 17, which is pretty young. Uh, and went into the MXD class. How did your pro debut go? And, and was it like a massive step up? Did you find it hard turning pro? Yeah, it was kind of weird. Like I didn't really look at it that way because it was sort of like under-19s back then. Yep. So it was like first year senior and we did the Australian titles pretty much every year growing up. So it was like, oh, well, the senior Australian titles is just, it's a whole championship. Like you actually have more than sort of one week of racing. It's, you know, throughout the whole year. So I did that and wasn't really sort of like any good, to be honest. Like wasn't 
wasn't anything special. Like was that's when I'd sort of was sort of like half still in school, but then sort of left to try and ride more and try and focus more on that, but ended up just working. So it was just going from race to race, working pretty much for for a couple of years, which I did one year of under nineteens and then went to, to MX two. Yeah. But yeah, it's kinda hard. Like it was pretty much just working the whole time and riding on the weekends or riding from race to race. So it wasn't really yeah, wasn't really or couldn't put in too much effort to get better because I couldn't ride during the week and things like that. So it sort of made things hard to sort of do what I wanted to do. But yeah, nutted out a few things and in a couple of years and then got a bit of a better program going. Yeah. And then of course we had COVID in between as well, which definitely put a spanner in the works, not only in, in you know, your fledgling career, like you were just sort of taking off in the, the pro ranks, um, but a lot of young riders and, and the motocross scene in general. How did you sort of go through those COVID years where you're riding and racing as much as you could, you know, in between the lockdowns and has it been sort of hard getting back into it since COVID as well? No, to be honest, that was like really good for me, COVID, um, because I was just working a lot and then riding a lot, to be honest. Um, So I sort of just started training with um, Ross and the Beatons Pro Formula crew around uh, either just before or around that time when it was coming. And during all the lockdowns and stuff, we all just got letters from our teams or back then I was like riding with Davey Motorsports. So we just got a letter from them saying that you're a professional athlete and you're allowed to go wherever you wanted. Yeah. So we could still go riding. So we were at Montague for a lot of days. Yeah. And we did pretty much did like a full, full training boot camp. Like some of the guys that were riding on the program, you know, were possibly going to America or, or Europe. So it was like, well, well, they're not stopping racing or riding. So why should sort of we, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we were all sort of riding and, like, that's where I made a lot of gains, to be honest, in those couple of years where there wasn't much happening because we were just riding, having a good time, yeah, and just hanging out in between either working to make money just to go riding and then you weren't sort of really racing. You were just having fun riding your dirt bike, but you were getting better at it, getting ready for whenever there was racing coming up. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was sort of... It was, it was good times, you know, and in bad times, it was good times. So. Yeah, and then once uh, COVID was done and we started to get back, that's when you, I think you broke your ankle, is that right? That's probably when I switched to um, Honda, like yep. once we come back from uh, COVID. And then, yeah, in that, that was the first year back, which was, I think, yeah, 2022. We had three rounds, but there was still COVID happening. So, yeah, 22, we come back and, um, yeah, that's when I broke my ankle in, in Maitland halfway through the year. Yeah, and what happened there? Was it a crash or? Yeah, I just dabbed my foot in a turn and then it just wrapped around the foot peg and pulled me off the bike and I just broke it. But it was it was a bit of a weird one, like the sort of non-displaced sort of thing. Sort of the doctor said to treat it like an ankle sprain sort of thing. So that's what we did. And it was obviously a little bit more than that. So it's sort of just an ongoing thing kept going. Would dab it here and there. and So you were still racing? Yeah, tried, yeah, tried to sort of make the next race like a month later and sat that one out because it wasn't quite ready and then yeah went on to I think it was the last two it was like QMP and Coolum and yeah did those two but it sort of um it was like <clears throat> still okay I could still ride all right um but then I'd just dab it and it would feel like I'd sort of broken it again but then the next day it's fine so it was kind of a weird situation turned it out it was still broken the whole time so yeah no, they definitely breed motocross riders tough, that's for sure. That uh, I don't think there's too many other sports that you'd find where guys would still be competing at a national level week or month after month or week after week with broken bones, that's for sure. Yeah, well, it was like 
coming up to QMP, it was one of the, we're at one of these tracks that's pretty gnarly, and um, it's towards the end of the day, it was actually the last lap of the moto, and it sort of I took I, t- I tweaked it on something and rode straight back to the car and like just dumped my bike and was sitting in the back of the van like I just broke it again, but then. 15 minutes later, it was fine. So it's sort of one of those things where it's like, well, you don't know what to think. And it's like, oh, well, each time I was riding, it felt like it was getting better. So you're like, oh, well, it can't be broken. You know? yep. it's, I don't know if that's just lying to yourself or, yeah, or just, you know, not really knowing what's going on. I think if you're for just about any rider at that top level, if you've got the mentality where you're, you're willing to lay down and die because you're in discomfort or some level of pain, I don't think you'd be able to do the sport at that level because you know, you're always carrying little injuries and little discomforts and, and you put all so much effort into it and training and you have expectations of yourself and other people have expectations of you as well. I think it, it makes it hard to... If you can still get on and ride, It's it's got to be a, a mental battle to to actually make yourself, you know, not give up is the wrong word, but, you know, to... To sit out sort yeah. of thing, yeah. Do you find that? Yeah, for sure. Like going off that, that's probably where I was at and what I should have done for the start of this year, which I should have probably sat out like the first two or three rounds and just focus on actually getting 100% healthy and, and, and sort of race ready sort of thing rather than just going, oh, no, it should be right. Like we'll just go racing. Yeah. So that's sort of something that I've got to be a bit smarter at, picking and choosing like, you know, what's actually right to do or what's going to be better for you to do. It's a, it's a hard one because you always just want to race and be the best you can, but you got to weigh up whether or not you're actually in the right position to do that. Yeah. Is that something that sort of infiltrates your your race itself? Like are you one of those riders that will always be pushing at your absolute limit or do you have races where you go, all right, I'm going to uh, settle, say, you know, whatever position I'm in because things are getting a bit sketchy or the track's getting a bit sketchy or I'm just not feeling it today? Yeah, yes and no. In some In some cases, like... At a national, like you'll pretty, I'll pretty much try and just do whatever I can, like the whole time, like try and race as much as I can. Yeah. Um, obviously, there'll be times whether or not you're either super fatigued for for whatever reason, if it's like you've got heat stroke or something, or if you've got chronic arm pump, you sort of can only do so much, and that's when you've got to be a little bit smart about it and not and go sort of okay, well, I'm still trying to race, but I'm just going to tone it down a little bit so yeah. I don't get whiskey throttle off this burn. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the sort of things like that. So it's sort of, you just got to pick and choose. Like you never want to like back down, but at the same time, you also got to be like smart about it and think about like the long term sort of thing. You know, obviously I don't race at that level and uh, I'm only sort of watching it uh, at the events and, and on TV. But when you're watching, especially like a lot of young guys and at the highest levels in the US, sometimes you you watch guys and you just go like, he'd be really good if he could just learn to back it down that, that little notch when, because a lot of the time you can see it coming, like from the sidelines or on the TV, you can actually see it coming when a rider's pushing that, that little bit too far. Yeah, you see a few moments and sure enough, you go, all right, these few moments are going to turn into some big ones pretty quickly. You, yeah, you know, yeah. It doesn't start thinking about what's going on, but yeah. some people can deal with that and they have like, that's, that's where some people ride their best when they're having those little moments because yeah. they're 100% switched on. It's sometimes when you tone it down a little bit is when you make the mistakes. 100%, yeah. But also, if you're just overriding completely, it's, that's not good for anything. Yeah, I mean, two examples of that, like, uh, you know, styles make riders. Uh, Hayden Deegan, you know, when he starts getting loose and sketchy and that just seems to be when it all falls into place and he starts 
putting out those lap times. And then Chase Sexton's the opposite. Like when he backs it down a little bit, that seems to be when he uh, folds the front wheel. Yeah, every time. Yeah, it's like clockwork. I'm looking forward to seeing him next year on the the KDM and, and seeing if it changes at all. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. He um, he looks pretty good on it so far from the little bits and pieces I've seen on Instagram and whatnot. So yeah, but that's always the preseason talk flying at the test track. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right, we'll take a little break to uh, yeah hear some words on behalf of our sponsors and yeah we'll come back and uh, we'll talk a bit of Supercross. All righty, it's time for a quick break and being our last pod for 2023, I thought I'd make this one a little bit more personal. As my way to say thank you, listen to these ads all the way through and you'll find out how you can win some cool prizes by supporting the sponsors who support Mental for Moto. As all of you listeners are no doubt aware, This has been my first year doing both the podcast and other motocross and supercross media. It really has been a bit of a dream come true how quickly it has grown and how it's all come together. And I'm so thankful to everyone who's gotten behind me and helped make it all possible. Death Grip Products. Trav from Death Grip was my very first in-studio guest. And as well as being a good mate, was also the first to come on board as a sponsor of the podcast. In addition to doing a bunch of cool moto-related merch, Death Grip have the Reaper gloves, which I absolutely love and would highly recommend to anyone that loves a lightweight, high-performance glove. Trav offers Mental for Moto listeners a whopping 35% discount on the Reaper gloves too, uh, which brings the price down to about 23 bucks a set. So to grab yourself some, visit www.deathgrip.store and use the discount code MENTAL23. Works Racing. Like Trav, Eddie Sini from Works Racing is another vet MX rider who came aboard early and has been super supportive. The goggles and roll-off system that Works Racing do are another great quality product that retails at a fraction of the price of other roll-off systems. I'm proud to announce that we'll be adding the Works Racing goggles to the shop on the Mental for Moto website for 2024, so keep an eye out for this early in the new year. SPMX Suspension and Engine Performance Steve Powell is a legend of Aussie motocross. As a rider, a suspension guru, and as a performance mechanic, uh, and another person that I'm very proud to call a friend. Long before I started Mental for Moto, Steve's approachability and willingness and generosity to help with advice to improve my own riding was endless. Whether you're a serious racer or a casual weekend rider looking to improve your setup, I encourage you to go chat to Steve at SPMX. Whether it's setting up your suspension, remapping your ECU or improving the performance of your machine, I guarantee that Steve will have the expertise to be able to help you out. Wolf Building Compliance. This is the fire protection company that I run with my brother Marcus. Uh, Over the last 12 months, as Mental Formoto has ramped up, Marcus has taken on the lion's share of business responsibilities at Wolf Building Compliance. And having his support as I take a step back to chase a dream has meant so much to me and I'll be eternally grateful. While Moto isn't really his jam, uh, he's been equally supportive of having Wolf do great deals on fire extinguishers and other fire equipment, as well as servicing, etc. for listeners of the podcast. If you're chasing fire equipment for your workshop, machine, home, business, whatever, shoot me a DM or use the contact form at wolfbc.net. Make sure you mention Mental for Moto and we will be sure to look after you. Graphics by Aqua. When it comes to jersey printing and graphics kits, these guys are truly a cut above. And without bias, we're behind some of the best-looking setups at this year's Aussie Supercross, with riders like Liam Jackson, Zane McIntosh, and Tar Schulenberg rocking their designs and prints. Alicia, the principal designer behind Graphics by Aqua, 
Her husband, Trent, and their son, Noah, who is one of the rising stars of the sport, have been super supportive of Mental Fomoto from very early on, and I am stoked to have them on board. If you're looking to spruce up your rig or kit in preparation for the 2024 race season, I definitely suggest you get in touch with Alicia, as you won't do better than graphics by Aqua. Shred Bike Care. I raced motocross with uh, Mick Sinclair from Shred Bike Care when we were Groms back in the early 90s. And since reconnecting with him more recently in his role as GM of AME, who is, of course, the promoter of the Aussie Supercross Championship, he's been nothing but supportive of myself and uh, Mental Fomoto and has already been on the pod a couple of times. Shred Bike Care is already well established in the mountain biking and BMX scenes and is quickly gaining momentum in the motocross scene as well. They have a complete range of products that are so easy to use, remove the need for excess elbow grease, and will have your dirt scooter looking shiny and fresh and ready to hit the track in half the time. I can't wait to do more with Shred Bike Care in 2024. Bolt Everywhere Premium Race Gear. As a product of the 90s moto scene, I am a massive fan of brightly coloured gear sets, so I've always been a fan of the Bolt Everywhere range. Uh, The Aussie behind Bolt Everywhere, Tom Carroll, is about as passionate about motocross as you can get and supports a bunch of both amateur and professional riders, including Luca Fors and Kaylee Cameron, who are both on the Mental for Moto Rider Support Program. I'm definitely keen to wrangle Tom into the studio to record a podcast with him early in the new year as well. Uh, If you're chasing a new gear set for 2024, you need to check out the Bolt Everywhere Insta page and get in touch with Tom. My personal faves are the Blast 4.0 Vibrant and Blast 4.0 Pink Apparel, and I'll definitely be ordering one of each for myself this year. I wrote helmets. Uh, I had a big crash when I was racing BMX as a young teenager that did a real number on my neck, and a couple of years back into riding motocross in my late 30s, I nearly had to give it away as the stress on my neck of wearing a heavy motocross lid was causing me to have migraines after nearly every ride. So my search for the best and lightest lid on the market led me to discover Iro, or Aero, however you want to say it. Uh, This helmet has been a complete game changer for me in my riding. Suffice to say that after four years, I can still ride uh, as much as I want, and I'm not getting the migraines. The added benefit of having one of the absolute safest and best-looking lids protecting my head is also cool. Uh, So to have Moto National, the Aussie distributor of Iro helmets, come on board as a partner of Mental for Moto, It's something I am super stoked about and I have to give a massive thanks to my mate Tim Brown for helping make this happen. Five Gloves. Along with Iro, Moto National are the distributor for Five Gloves. And when it comes to the most comfortable gloves I've ever worn, and I'm super fussy when it comes to gloves, the new Five MXF race gloves are a definite contender for the title. Five is a world leader when it comes to motorcycling handwear and their dedication to making high-performance handwear that looks amazing and is incredibly comfortable is apparent in every glove in the Five range, with my personal favourites being the MXF Pro Riders and the MXF Race Gloves. And that's almost it. If you're still listening, to say thanks to our amazing partners and you guys for supporting us, uh, I have a few sets of gloves, a set of goggles, and some Mental Fomoto merch I want to give away. So for your chance to win, you just need to post yourself using one of the products from our promo partners on Instagram or Facebook, and make sure you tag Mental for Moto so that we see it. It might be of you washing your bike with a product from Shred, uh, an action shot of you rocking an SBMX sticker on your forks, a photo of your kit with a graphics by Aqua jersey print, uh, or maybe you wearing an Iro lid. 
Whatever it is, I'll be giving away a prize every month through 2024 to the best and or most creative post. Once again, thanks for listening. Now let's get back to this episode. Oh, let's actually start out with some of the Supercross you've done in the past. So you, you, you set out the 2023 season, but you've, uh, you've done a few rounds of Supercross in the past. Uh, sort of tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, when I first went to seniors in 2017, I sort of like, oh, you know, doing the national motocross and then the next thing was like Supercross and hadn't really done much Supercross before and I sort of thought, oh, I'll just ride some and see how I go at it and sort of get a feel for it and then my old boy loving racing as much or more than what I do goes, oh, well, you're riding it, you might as well race it. <laughs> so I'd never really ridden Supercross before and sort of just got thrown in the deep end and start like raced MX2 and yeah, probably shouldn't have been out there to be honest, was probably more of a hazard for the first year or two. But sort of like one way to learn, I guess, is just to get in there. But, you know. Um, they had no development class then either, was there? It nah, was straight yeah, SX2, so SX1, and yep. that was it. Yeah, so I did under-19s in the motocross in 2017 and then straight into SX2. Yep. Which, yeah, probably should have just trained it and rode it and got used to it. But, um, yeah, sort of dad's like, oh, well, we're, we're getting the set up and, you know, riding it. So you, you might as well go and race it and, you know, ride more tracks and different tracks. So it's one way to look at it, I guess. Um, where, where did you train at that stage? Because there wouldn't have been a lot of tracks around. Nah, so uh, I went to um, uh, Moss Institute in New South Wales. Yeah. Stayed there for, I think, a week and did a bit of coaching with Mossy and got endorsed up there and then come back and did a little bit of riding at, uh, at, a, at a private track in Cockatoo and then some at Cruzix yep. um, and then Cade Mosick's place as well. Oh, yeah, um, yes. Back when he back when he still had um their set up not too far from my place, um, so I had there was a couple of trucks around, but yeah, not sort of not as well. There's still not that many now down in Victoria, but yeah, there's a few places you just sort of had to have the right connections and speak to some people and and get on there. Uh, so how many rounds were there back then? I think we had quite a few. I think there was yeah, I think we did like rounds? five or six rounds yeah, in like yeah. 2017 or and 18. Yep. So yeah, it was there was a little bit more around, so it was sort of like uh, you know, you had time to sort of get in and sort of get comfortable and um, you know, find your feet a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I just brought up the schedule now. Yeah. You sort of went around just about everywhere, and that's when you had yeah the Osex Open in Sydney. That would have been one of the first ones as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think in 2016 I went and watched it. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, 2017 I was racing it. Um, Unreal. which sort of. Wouldn't have thought about it at the time. Like, I was like, oh, pretty blown away with it all, watching it, like, you know, young kid. And then the next year I was racing it and it's pretty... pretty um, Surreal? Yeah, it was just sort of like one of those things, you sort of... One thing leads to another and you sort of like, oh, it's pretty cool in the stadium and stuff, but then you're sort of there to just ride and race, so you're sort of not really thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but the ramp... I remember the first time walking up the ramp or looking at the ramp and the, the finish line jump and you were just like, oh, <laughs> shit. Like even even last year looking at Melbourne, you were just like every time sort of – because we don't really ride them, like I never yeah, really yeah. ride freestyle ramps or anything. It's like that first time you hit it, for the, like you're always just like, oh, no, what's, how's it going to go? The first time you're always waiting to see or it's, it's like second lap, you've got to jump it. Yeah. So then it's just, you know, it's sweet. So no, um, the, the – Ramp at uh, Melbourne this year was absolutely enormous. Like it was standing down on ground level and looking at it, and 
I think they ended up MX3 and, and the 85 class uh, bypassed it. Yeah, 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 I know that um, 85 class definitely um, went around it, which was probably good because if some of those young kids tried to jump it, there would have been would have been some carnage. The uh, even on practice and qualifying, there was like MX, uh, sorry, SX2 and, and SX1 riders coming up short, and on the Aussie day, so on the the Friday, the Australian Supercross, it had a real square like uh, top to transition for the down ramp. And like they were just hitting and clipping that and bouncing three meters vertically down, and there was a few moments, like a few real big moments. Yeah, so. they always with the because it's like all scaffold and stuff. It's always like a bit of a box shape the down yep. ramp. And I remember, yeah, the first year I think it was oh, maybe one of the years, twenty seventeen or eighteen. For some reason, I was in first gear coming out of the turn <laughs> instead of second, and I was yeah on the limiter. And then was like, oh no, like going way too fast to hit the brakes and not jump it. So I just had to back off and then just last minute, just give it everything, like halfway up the up ramp. And I pretty much landed like flat on the top and yeah. then bounced like all the way into the turn and then somehow didn't go over the berm into the seats afterwards. But yeah, it's like if you if you land on the top, you're, you're just along you're for a ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. That begs a question. Like I know in the US they run different gearing for the supercross bikes so that they can use first gear and and second a lot of the time too. Do you run different gearing in Australia when you're you're racing supercross? Yeah, compared to motocross, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um a lot more aggressive. Um just so you like come out of the turn and it's just everything's right there sort of you don't really need um you might only be using fifth gear in the whoops. Yep. Sometimes so you don't really need, you know, that much like that long of a gearing yeah, set yeah. up. Um so yeah, you Make it um, make the gearing quite a bit shorter. Yeah. So, what do you find easier, supercross or motocross? Oh, motocross definitely comes easier just because, like, I've done it my whole life. Uh, I'd probably say I enjoy supercross more because it's so uh, so much more technical. Um, there's a lot more risk involved, so it's kind of like it's a little bit scarier, but at the same time, that kind of makes it more exciting because you know if you make a mistake, yeah, there's a lot more price to pay. So that kind of keeps you on your toes a bit more, and then you sort of when you're unlocking some bigger rhythms or you, you're wheeling into the whoops and missing one and yeah. stuff like that, you sort of, the heart rate gets up. But it's a lot like, I'd say it's a lot more rewarding like when you're riding a supercross track well and you're happy with the laps that you're pounding out and everything's going well. It's like some of the best fun you can ever have on a dirt bike. Yeah, I bet. When you come from motocross to a supercross for the first time and you're actually racing, so you're in a stadium, you're on the gate, you know, you're mixing it up with the other SX2 guys. What are some of the biggest differences that you sort of don't anticipate or if you can remember, like from motocross? Like obviously it's a lot closer, the racing. You don't spend that much time sort of body to body in motocross, especially after the first couple of laps. But uh, do you remember sort of what that was like when you first started racing supercross? And Yeah, the hardest, the hardest thing was honestly trying to like get used to the suspension. Like when we first went to – when I first went to um, Mossy's, you could um, – like I couldn't turn. I had no like I couldn't feel the, the grip or anything. Like I just had, because I've never ridden on anything like that before. Like it's crazy how much firmer the suspension is, which you need it and it saves your ass a lot, yeah. a lot of the time. <laughs> but yeah, just trying to get get your head around that. So like even racing, like I said, still in like the first year twenty seventeen, I still wasn't really had no idea what I was doing. Like I still could barely even feel what I, like the bike in the turns and yeah, sort of was more worried about just doing the jumps or just doing the rhythms, let alone racing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, probably 
I wasn't probably yeah figure w- worried about what what else was happening. I was more worried about just trying to get get around safely. <laughs> and so, how did you um, how did your results go in Supercross in those first few years? Uh, back then, because there was no support class, like the field was like pretty. There's a lot of a lot of guys in there, so like if you made a main event, it was like oh you know you were sort of doing pretty good at Supercross. Um, so I think I don't reckon I made any the first year, and then there was one year I don't know if it was 2018. In Jim Boomba, it was a full mud race. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I got like 14th or something in it. So like that was that was probably I was stoked with that. Even though it was just like if you stayed on, you know, you might you might get around, you might not. You didn't know it was like one of the gnarliest mud races in motocross or supercross like I've ever done. But that was cool. And then yeah, so it was sort of just. And then I think 20, 2019, um, yeah, twenty nineteen in Adelaide. I think I ended up like 18th or 17th or something and I was like pretty happy with it because there was it was only SX2 there was no support class or anything and yeah um yeah and I was like there was a lot of lot of good guys there and the track was quite gnarly that year so um just to make it through and not not you know come up with any injuries or anything like that I was I was pretty happy with and you so you raced supercross last year as well though yep. didn't you yeah yep. what did you think about that that was a uh, watching from the outside uh, that was a strange season there was a real mix of different tracks you know Newcastle and Melbourne were obviously like full scale full spec supercross tracks a lot more US like Adelaide basically didn't happen because I wasn't there and it wasn't on TV so I've got no idea what happened over in South Australia well you didn't really miss um too much over there it was pretty much like an arena cross track yeah which was like a little bit disappointing like a lot of even a lot of the Americans or even like a lot of the Aussie guys said we'd probably be better off using our motocross suspension for it. Oh yeah. Um, just because everything was not super crossy. Um, yeah. like it was yeah, it was pretty much just like a beefy version of a of a of a motor, uh, arena cross track. But yeah, that was sort of like a bit yeah, a bit sort of wild there. But yeah, Melbourne was really good last year. I think they had dirt works or overseeing the thing overseeing the track build and it was just, yeah, that was like one of the best tracks I've ridden in terms of like built-wise with the, yep. you know, all, all the jumps, the same and, and everything like that. And then Newcastle was really good, just like the dirt was really hard pack. Yes. And yeah. it was same again this year. It was super slick. And I different reckon. dirt though too, but same result. Yeah, so I reckon this year it looked even, I wasn't there, just watching it on the live stream, it looked even more slick than last year. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was a that was a good sort a good a good track, and then Wagga last year was just sort of like I don't <laughs> know that was something else too. That was sort of that looked like it was out of Mad Max. Like that was sort of just scary to be there yeah. to be honest. Yeah, uh, the sun was really low. The track was baked. It looked hot, dusty. Yeah, definitely like something out of a, a movie scene rather than like an actual Supercross race. Yeah, and. And a lot of us, I think it was before the last race. Uh, I, th- I don't know what exactly what the program was, but we had like two or three races, main main races. Yep. And a lot of us, like, you couldn't even see because of the dust and the sun. So we all just didn't want to race. Like, we all just turned our bikes off and said, nah, like, it's dangerous. Like, if you go into that second turn, like, you got the first turn and then it was like a long rhythm lane that was kind of like mallow. So you're going really fast into a, like a pretty big berm. And then you're into that like triple that I've reckon I've got PTSD from. <laughs> um, and like you couldn't even see. I remember like we stopped and we weren't going to race. And then there was a few people carrying on from the background saying, well, f- get off the gates and we'll race like the 450 class and stuff. Yeah. 
And then anyway, we ended up like waiting a little bit and because there was like, there was problems with no lights or something or I don't know what the dramas were, but yeah, it was like, it was pretty gnarly. And then we ended up sort of all racing anyway. And like, you couldn't even see, like, I remember I was just rolling around sort of like if you half of the time, that first lap, I couldn't see anything going into that first turn or even over the triple, you were just like, all right, go off the double beforehand, click up to third gear and just muscle memory and hopefully no one's in your way. Yeah. And then, yeah, just after the after the first lap, you could sort of see what you were doing. I was just like, uh, after with what happened, like during the year with my ankle injury and stuff, and then that still being a problem and knowing it was still a problem. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm not even trying to do anything special. I just want to get out of here healthy. Like, wasn't interested in trying to, trying to do anything crazy, that's for sure. Yeah, that's crazy because it's so dangerous already and so technical, like without having all those added other risk factors at play. It definitely just puts it to another level yeah yeah it's 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 pretty wild and for all like for everyone to sort of stop like on the line i know my old boy he was he was pretty stoked with it like he loves the riders trying to stand up or what's right or trying to make the sport better and things like that so when everyone stopped and didn't want to race he was loving it because he was just like yeah it puts it back on the officials and the promoters or whatever to to do something about it um or to learn from it yeah so yeah it was it was sort of a like a cool thing to see that nobody wanted to go out there and risk their life because I mean even I remember Kyle like Webster he just come finish the race and come over and was saying like he goes that's dangerous man like you, you literally can't even see with the dust and the sun like it's yeah like you said if it's not already dangerous enough with that it's like yeah and there was a few big name casualties at uh, at Wagga as well last year like there was some big big crashes there. yeah yeah. Speaking of your uh, your old man and, and Supercross, uh, his discussions with Mick Sinclair seem to have been pretty instrumental in some of the, uh, I'll say, improvements that they made to the series this year. And let's talk about those those sort of things a little bit. I know you didn't race this year, but you're obviously aware of, of what's going on. Uh, we'll start with like the CR2285 Cup. What, what are your sort of thoughts on that and, and in terms of the future of Supercross for young riders, like looking back at, how you got into it, uh, having to step straight into the the SX2 class uh, and the opportunities that, you know, the younger riders have got now with the 85s and then SX3 class. Yeah, I think it's a, um, like, it's a great thing, especially for the younger riders, like, obviously the younger riders or even kids on 50s now, like, I do a little bit of coaching and there's some kids that are already like, oh, we're going to start building some whoops and things at the track, like, just to get them ready, like, or trying to learn some, you know, some sort of supercross skills like it's it's sort of hard like you need to be doing that stuff at a young age to, to if you if you want to go to america or things like that to race over there because yeah all the guys over there or all the good guys are in like training facilities and things like that from such a young age or they're riding supercross like look at hayden deegan he's been riding the supercross track since he was on yeah. a 65 so unless you're sort of doing that and you have the you know access to tracks and things like that or access to being able to race it's hard, it's hard to get that good um, at it, especially if you want to go like, obviously, if you're a talented rider and, you know, you've got a lot of skill, you can do whatever you, you, you know, you, you know, you can make make yourself good at whatever you're doing, but... You're still years behind experience-wise, like you yeah, can't make up for it's, that. Yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, to get that under the belt unless you've, you know, unless you've had those years of experience of riding it. And that's one thing that, you know, probably would have helped me a lot more if I was riding Supercross on a on an eighty five. You know, growing up, sort of getting used to it. You know, by the time you get to SX two, you're probably more comfortable and can actually sort of race it rather than just ride around for the first couple of years. And uh, as well as like 
the support for the privateers that they had this year. Again, like you, you didn't race this year because you were busy with work and life responsibilities. But had you raced or, or even next year, assuming that those sort of uh, incentives are still going to be in place, will they help? Do you think they'll help you as a privateer racer? Yeah, for sure. I think one of the... Um, one of the the good things about it was uh, actually like being able to get photos from the events like that to be honest that's probably one of the hard things about being a privateer is unless you've got some spare money to pay someone to take photos for the weekend or like some of the times you don't even think about it you're just trying to do everything you can to get there the last thing you think about is trying to organize a photographer or something like that so then after the like after the racing you're like oh i need photos from the weekend to post for something and it's like it's almost like Mission Impossible trying to find yeah. photos to, to, you know, to get to post up. So that seemed pretty good that they were sort of, you know, doing some privateer photo sort of galleries and things like that and yep. getting them out there. And I know like um, Trent uh, from Moto Limited, he did one at, um, did some from Coolum and stuff like that. And, yep. and you've been sending some photos out to some privateers, which is, that's like awesome because some sometimes like you, you don't have anything to post from the weekend, like a couple of iPhone photos maybe, but something like, I know for myself, like I sort of want something that it's a little bit better to post on Instagram than just an iPhone photo. Like, yeah, sometimes you sort of just got to do what you got to do, but that's a that's a good good thing to come from it. That's yeah. one of the good things. And then, yeah, the activation stuff that they've been doing, like a little bit of the media stuff has been pretty good too. So getting getting some more people involved and um, getting some privateers on press day and things like that is good. So. And even a prize purse back down all the way to 20th now, that's got to help for sure. Yeah, for sure. That would have been nice last year, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the photos, that was something I think uh, that, that they did really, really well this year. Like coming off the Pro-MX season, it was actually really hard, uh, A, to get accreditation for Pro-MX. Like it was a lot of work and communication wasn't great. But even then to get track access to be able to take photos. And you compare like the size of a motocross track to a supercross track. And then at supercross, they were a lot more open to that. And I think they saw the benefit of, of getting media guys out there to do that job and it it let guys like myself but there was you know certainly not the only one um, down on the floor to be able to take photos and provide that and you know the Australian Supercross series and and AME saw the advantage in that both for themselves but for the riders so I think that was a huge improvement you know both from Pro MX but uh, certainly last year at the Supercross that was one of the, I think, the biggest criticisms that they faced was from media guys as well, that uh, the process last year was so hard to be able to get accreditation. And one of the you know, consequences of that is the riders don't get photos and there's not a lot of coverage of the events. Like when I had um, Jai Constantino on the podcast early on, I asked him if he had any photos that I could use to uh, like promote the episode. And he had one photo of racing at Marvel Stadium and like it's a it's an okay photo, but it's not like a great photo. And it's it was like the only photo that he had, and yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "You raced at Marvel Stadium Supercross yeah. in front of seventeen thousand people, and you've got one photo." Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Sometimes you think like, "Oh, there'd be you know people all over it or whatever," but yeah, yeah. literally sometimes you've like got to beg, borrow, and steal your way just to get a photo. Even like when you you're putting all the effort and stuff into it, and then you've still got to go out and try and you know. Yeah. Pay, pay for photos of yourself that you've you know spent all the money to try and get to the races and go racing and yeah so it's it's pretty wild sometimes but yeah it's a good it's a good initiative because if they want you know the riders to post stuff to promote the events and things like that then 
how, how do they expect people to do it if there's no no content to come from it? Yeah, and even like on a bigger scale, by you guys as writers having content to promote your own programs, it makes it more enticing for sponsors to support your programs, uh, which then means that you can come back year after year and more writers can get themselves to a position where they can line up on the gate, which means you know there's more riders signing up for events and and that's been definitely an issue in australian supercross in the past like i, I was looking back at 17 and 18 uh, in the sx2 class and they definitely had some some pretty good numbers like i think there was 29 and 30 for each year respectively yeah. but then we had some really really light on years where we weren't yeah. even filling a gate for a main event yeah so uh yeah i think you know there's that really that big picture as well the more media that's out there the more sponsors will be encouraged and I guess see their their payoff from getting behind the sport and getting behind riders as well. You know? Yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah, the more content goes out there, then the more, you know, privateers like myself and, you know, other guys can, can post and promote their sponsors and promote the event and almost like give back to the, trying to their sponsors or the no, and that's what I mean, the promoters. For the most part, that's what the sponsors are. You know, they're there for, of course, you're going to get ones that just love Supercross and, and have a connection with that rider and want to just want to help. But for some of them, you know, at the end of the day, it's their business as well. And if they're going to invest in it, they're hoping to see some sort of return, whether that's brand awareness or a financial return, but they're looking for something out of it as well. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of that, look at uh, sort of what your plans are for next year. But to start off with, while we're on that sort of vein... Uh, who have you got supporting your program next year? Like, what can you tell us? You might not obviously have everything sort of nailed down yet, but what can you tell us about your program next year and what it's going to look like and who's behind you? Yeah, so um, for next year so far, sort of going to stick with the Honda and the Ride Red program. Um, things are changing with that a little bit, I believe. But you'll be in S- uh, MX2 and SX2 again? Yep. 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 Yeah, both a- MX2 and SX2, yep. Um, so, yeah, just sort of nutting out a few like more details of the bits and pieces like I said a couple of things are going to change a little bit this year with a little bit more freedom or just some things changing so still trying to work out a few things to finalize um, some stuff on that but yeah looking like it'll be pretty much sort of similar to to this year. And in terms of training and and putting together a program again we sort of touched on it earlier about how much you've been working has that been to sort of save up to fund next year's program or is that just uh, your new normal like you're going to be working through the year or you're going to be looking at at really focusing and and training in 2024 and, and putting together like a solid program yeah no I definitely um sort of missed supercross this year just to try and work and um and save up some money so i can do things properly next year yeah and try and try and train and like sort of fully commit to it and try and do as much as i can like full-time racing and and just trying to put everything i have into it and have a real good crack at, at racing next year and giving it my best Yep. So what's your expectation of yourself? Like, what are you hoping to achieve next year, uh, both in, I guess, separately in Pro MX and the Australian Supercross Series? And, you know, what do you think your your potential is, basically? Yeah, so um, I come off a pretty rough year this year, to be honest, but still sort of expectation to sort of to, to try and be a sort of top 10 guy every round. So that's sort of something that I'm like working towards and, and sort of want to achieve and then sort of go from there. Like your expectations and goalposts sort of always move. Once you get something, you always sort of want to go, go to the next thing. So I guess that's what you get with racing. You sort of one, one day I always used to go, oh, I'd always want to race like the MX Nationals or something. And then now like it's like, oh, 
no, nah, like I want to be a top 10 guy. And then once I get there, it's like, oh, I, I want to be a top five. And Podium. Then, yeah. And then so race win. <laughs> I sort of, yeah, it's sort of, it sort of shifts um, a lot of the time. So yeah, just trying to get myself back, um, back into a good place and, and yeah, get a hundred percent fit and ready to go for next year. And yeah, try and try and chase top tens every, every round. And if I can do that, I'll be happy and should set myself up to, to keep going for the years ahead. Beautiful. And that's motocross and supercross. Yep. Yep. So what is your off-bike training program going to look like in 2024? Uh, so I'll be back with John Park. He's uh, been my trainer for probably the last like two, three years. Yeah. Sort of when COVID started and um, I started training with Ross. I started training with John as well. So yeah, he's sort of looked after me and um, got us all ready to go for, for every year. And he's really good. Like he's also a physio as well. So he's sort of looks after us on that aspect as well and goes to most of the races so he's been he's been around for a long time so he's a really good guy to have in your corner and uh speaking of ross beaton uh you mentioned sort of off air about potentially going and doing a like a boot camp with him what what will that look like yeah so um got to give him a call so um if he's listened to this i don't know if i've called him yet or not but (laughs) (laughs) we'll see but yeah, so try and um, get back down and um, train with Ross again for next year. Yeah, train with him for the last sort of two to three years. But yeah, sort of want to try and like uh, go down that that way, sort of Gippsland, and sort of stay down there and just make life a little bit easier with less travel and and just do a, a, a proper like a uh, preparation. Know, yeah, proper proper preparation before round one and do things properly and yeah, and then just sort of see where that leads me. Just try and yeah, have a really good crack at it and. No distractions, and it'll be what it'll be. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing you uh, to come out swinging in 2024. As far as like your long term goals over the next few years, do you have any ambitions to to do anything overseas or go somewhere long term? Like, are you looking to go to the US or Europe or the WSX or anything like that? Oh, it'd be awesome to be honest. Like, it'd be re- like cool to go overseas and race. Like, I've been to New Zealand a couple of times to race the Woodville yep. GP over there. And I've thought about like going there and racing their series like to as a bit of a pre-start to our series over here because a few guys have done that before. But it's sort of it's sort of one of those things like I'm sort of at the point now where I've sort of got to, got to get some results and do some things over here first before I worry about trying to do anything or go overseas. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe just go overseas and have a holiday and stay with some mates that are living over there and maybe do a race or two or something. There you go, yeah. But, yeah, it sort of don't really have the money to do that anyway sort of just putting everything to trying to have a program over here and and um and do the best i can over here so yeah all right well before we wind up is there anyone that you'd like to thank in your that supports your program or helps you out or yeah just like to say big thanks to you reeve and honda and um everyone associated with the ride red program for for the last couple years um as well moving forward and and ross and, and john my trainers for you know putting in all the hard work they do with all the boys that they have underneath them. So, um, yeah, and Dad especially for getting all the bikes and all the dramas sorted and driving to all the races. So a few personal sponsors that helped me out as well. So without all of them, it's sort of, um, yeah, wouldn't be able to go racing. So can't thank them enough. Uh, well, good luck in 2024 and uh, thanks heaps for coming down to, to record the pod. I've really enjoyed it and I can't wait for next year. Uh, too easy. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks, Chandler. And that wraps up episode 20 of the Mental for Moto podcast. Massive thanks to Chandler Burns for coming on the show. We will definitely be putting out more content so you can follow his journey throughout the 2024 motocross and supercross season. Once again, thanks to all our promo partners. Death Grip Products, Works Racing, SPMX Suspension and Engine Performance, 
Wolf Building Compliance, Graphics by Aqua, Shred Bike Care, Bolt Everywhere Premium Racewear, Ira Helmets and Five Gloves. And most of all, I'd like to give a massive shout out to all of our listeners for supporting our journey here at Mental Fomoto. Uh, we have some big plans for 2024, some amazing guests lined up and the goal to do at least 50 episodes in the new year. So please like and subscribe to Mental Fomoto on the various platforms, follow us along and make sure you tell all your friends about us too. I've been your host, Pete Wolf, and I look forward to catching up with you all in the new year. Until next time, see ya.